Welcome into the Thank Keeper Podcast. I'm your co-host, Joe Wilkie, joined as always by Jack Wilkie and Will Harib. And we have a, a part two episode, kind of. Uh, I guess it would be a part two. Uh, we're very excited to have Dr. Harib on the podcast. Um, but before we get to that, we're, we're going to have part two and, and I think a part three. And so we're excited. But fellas, it's Thanksgiving week. And so happy Thanksgiving to all our listeners out there. And I do have a question for you as we get to and we think about the Thanksgiving meal, what's the best part of the meal? Because I'll I'll say turkey's not near the top for me. I it's don't very think overrated, it's any part. And right, yeah. It's very overrated. And I don't I, know that I'm it's say, the top though, of anybody's. It's, it's popular in recent years to like slander the turkey. Hey, we're going to have turkey. Some people are like, no, we're just going to oh, have ribeye. No, you have to have the turkey, even if it's you not have that to have turkey. Agreed. Respect tradition. Right. I agree with that. But you're right. But mom there's, also there's makes things. a honey-baked ham. The honey-baked ham and then especially having the sandwiches after. Ooh. So... What is the number one? What what's your, what's your go to at a Thanksgiving? So we're all very big Thanksgiving fans uh, on here. Uh, big Christmas fans too, of course. But uh, Thanksgiving is my favorite day of the year. Um, man, so many different things to choose from. I am a built believer that ham is is superior to turkey uh, on Thanksgiving Day. But if if I had to just man one dish, I got to go with dressing. I know some of y'all call it stuffing. Um, my mom's dressing is some of the best stuff I've ever tasted. Uh, so that that is what I look forward to on Thanksgiving Day every year. Really not a competition. And I think it's mainly because we don't really eat it much any other time of the year. You know, the mashed potatoes, the corn, the rolls, the we eat that, you know, other times of the year. But, man, dressing is, is where it's at for me on Thanksgiving Day. I like your idea of the kind of Thanksgiving-specific things. Mine is the right. sweet potato casserole, not the marshmallow one, mm. but the uh, brown sugar, butter, you know, that one. Pecans. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... Uh, yeah, that's top for me. The other end of the spectrum, bottom is the other orange thing, pumpkin pie. Of course, everyone knows. But Joe, what about you? I I am not a big fan of stuffing or or dressing or whatever. Mm-hmm. I've never liked it. No offense, Will. Never liked it. Always thought it was dry. I just can't get into it. Same with apple pie. Um, a good pecan pie. I used to not like it. A good pecan pie is tough to beat. Um, sweet potato casserole. I used to not like that either. Thanksgiving was never a big deal for me, but now I'm kind of coming back around so i'd say thanksgiving or i i would say sweet potato casserole and then there's specific things that are made by my family and, and by my in-laws as well and you know we gravitate each year toward one or the other um and we switch back and forth and so i'm always lucky because on the one they make a delicious chocolate dessert uh, my in-laws do and on the other we get some rolls from sharon and brian and they have rolls as well that are really good, but um, Sharon Bryant's rolls, shout out to, to Sharon Bryant. Um, they are good. Unbelievable rolls that we get like once a year, and I could down that sounds like delicious. 10, yeah. 10 of those things. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's fantastic stuff. But anyway, to our listeners, um, post in the comments. Obviously, we haven't even gotten into the episode, but post in the comments with your favorite Thanksgiving uh, dish or side dish or whatever Let it is. Let us know Maybe how you much you disagree something. with Joe about how great dressing is. True. Because clearly, clearly Joe, Joe's right about a lot of things, man. He, he's way off about this one. That's I, almost I a hot know. take with Joe moment. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Freezing it's just cold not good. More like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you want to do biscuits and cornbread and separate them, sure. Great. But throwing like sage and thyme and rosemary and oh, I just not going to be able to do it. So, um, yeah, I guess that is a hot take either way. Shout Let out us know to the deep thinkers, your, uh, though. What your favorite we are. are thankful for you. I'm going to throw that in there. We're thankful uh, Very true. that people get on and listen to us every week. It's kind of crazy to me that sometimes people do, but uh, we, we sure have a lot of fun, and we love hearing from you guys, love talking to you guys, and yeah, thank you guys for listening. We're very thankful to be able to share God's Word and, and this, I don't know, just this kind of mindset, this worldview with you guys. So that something I wanted to say before we got going. Anything you guys got before we get into the episode? Very well, well said. Thankful for you, fellas. Yeah, thankful Likewise. for you. Thankful for this podcast and, and thankful for everybody listening uh, right now. And so with that, we're going to get into the episode uh, with Dr. Brad Harrow. So we are back with part two of the discussion that we started last week um, about God's purpose and design for sex. And just as we started last week's episode with, we'll do the same thing here. We know a lot of our listeners listen with their families or listen with their children we are going to leave it up to your discretion, uh, depending on your children's ages, whether or not you think this is something they should be listening to. Again, um, if you listen to the last one, then hopefully you, you know kind of the, the direction that we went. And so we'll leave that up to your discretion. Um, but to continue on, we have uh, a special guest 
uh, involved in his premiere episode of Think Deeper. It's kind of crazy. We've been doing this for a year now, and he was on a Think Fast with us, but this is the first time he's been on Think Deeper with us. We've got my dad, uh, Brad Harib, uh, who has joined us. Um, we talked a lot about, again, last week about what is what is God's purpose for sex? What is his design for? We know that the world has misconstrued it, has twisted it, has perverted it, but we also got into the fact that the church, in a lot of ways, has simply not done an adequate job of teaching about sex, of, of uh, covering sex with young people in, in any way. And so uh, we, we kind of focused on that aspect again, God's design, God's purpose, and the way that that has been misconstrued by both the world and the church. And so there's a, a few different areas that we wanted to tackle with this part two episode. And we wanted to be, to bring uh, Brad on uh, for several reasons to discuss some of the things having to do with uh, birth control, reproduction, uh, the IVF question. Those are things that we'll hit later on in the episode. But to start, uh, I don't know whether to call you dad or Brad. I'm just going to stick with dad. Brad doesn't sound normal, so I'm going to stick with dad. Uh, but dad, welcome. Welcome into this week's episode. You could mix uh, him and call him Brad. Brad. Okay, was, sorry. Okay, that was flat. a bad joke. That was a dad wow. joke. Just, you know, dad was. joke. Yeah, Brad. <laughs> okay, okay. That's never mind. Bad. So anyway, um, good try there, Joe. Um, but uh, dad, you listened to last week's episode. Uh, go ahead and tell us maybe what are some things we left out. What are some things that you that you wanted to cover in this part two episode? Hey, it's great to be with you guys. So uh, let's let's start with the obvious. You know, my background is in anatomy. And one of the things that I, I don't know that you guys covered in detail last week was just the the beautiful design that God put in men and women. Um, you know, there is a reason why in the Bible it talks about a one flesh union, because the male and the female bodies were designed to come together in such a way. Um, one of the things we'll, you know, firsthand, we... Melinda and I were very, very purposeful about making sure that our children heard about sex, number one, from us, but also from the perspective that it is good, it is God-designed. And, Will, you may remember we used a, a kit, so to speak, that was it's called Passport for Purity. I highly recommend it. I think Dennis Rainey is the, the guy who did that. It's it's actually supposed to be a one to two day weekend kind of deal where you get away with your child. And by the time the thing is over, they know everything. There are experiments, there's all kinds of stuff. But one of the reasons we are so passionate about it is it presents it from a biblical perspective that this is good. And it describes in very good detail everything that that somebody needs to know whether that be uh, a young person talking about the design of the human body and what to expect as they grow older but also what the body is for how babies are made etc cetera, etc cetera. and so yeah one one of the things that I, I feel like maybe we glossed over last week was just the fact that you got a lot of nerve endings in certain areas of the body that are there god put them there for the purpose of arousing for making erogenous zones so that um you are stimulated in those areas or that that your spouse can pleasure you in those areas and you know it's not something to be ashamed of it's not something to shy away from it's god's design well, I can't remember if we discussed this or not, but just the very design of the male penis and the woman vagina, the one being her receiving and him being more on the, you know, giving and and forceful is not the right term, but you know what I mean? Like it, it's his is to to kind of be the leader, so to speak, and hers is, is to receive that. And so there's built in the design of the sexual organs themselves is hierarchy and is kind of the design for a man being the the head of a woman right like he is to help her in those ways and she's to receive that and and there's to be both sides grateful for the position that they've been given in in the marriage and so 
I think that's such a valuable point that you're making, even about the way God designed the nerve endings to stimulate one another in in their erogenous zones. And the way that that, and you can get into this, doesn't that release a few chemicals? We're talking oxytocin, some, some pheromones, things like that. I wonder if you can get into that a little bit about the release of chemicals that come from the touch and, and from sex itself. So uh, probably everybody listening to this can remember, uh, go back in your mind to when you were 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. And the very first time that you held hands with somebody of the opposite sex and the feelings that that released in your body, um, you know, today you hold hands with somebody and it may not do that same thing. The difference is this, when you were younger, when you were first experiencing that, it triggered the pleasure center of your brain. Dopamine was released. It was just like taking a hit of whatever, um, whether that be a drug or chocolate or whatever causes somebody pleasure. As you mature in your relationship, it actually converts over, and you guys did mention this last week, to oxytocin, um, which is basically a deeper, more feeling oriented kind of chemical release where, you know, when two people are bonded together, you get a totally different neurochemical response. And again, go back to all of this is God designed. Um, one of the things that, that I got to, I got to get on to y'all about last week, nobody mentioned the fact that women are crockpots men are microwaves big difference in the um sexual gratification time of men and women and your job is to make sure that the meal is is cooked and everything's done on the same time so that there is pleasure for both the wife and the husband which gets us into foreplay and things like that, right? And why it's so important and why most husbands, I think, want to go right into sex without having wooed his wife sufficiently. And and even so, not even with foreplay, doesn't it also go to having the emotional connection? Because I also find, I think most married couples will find, like if you had a fight or whatever and, and you come back together, you work through it, you talk through it, they call it makeup sex, but... I do believe that there is a seemingly biological and certainly an emotional response where you get more aroused and the sex seems to be very fulfilling when you have come together in this emotional bond where you're working through problems together, you're listening to each other's sides, you're talking about it. Seemingly, when you are emotionally ready, that is when the sex seems to be best, in, in my opinion. And once again, the makeup sex seems to be something that people are well aware of. Well, from from a anatomical perspective, um, there's a lot that goes on in the female body to make her more receptive. And I think it's one of those things that the guys, we don't either we don't think of, we don't spend enough time really focusing on. But and I'm not going to get into all the technical details, but I, I'll simply say this, uh, a female's body if there has been the appropriate um, sensuality throughout the day, if you have treated her the way she's supposed to be treated, if you have loved her the way Christ loved the church, then later on when that time happens, her body is going to be much more receptive and ready for sexual intercourse. If you haven't done all those things, it's not going to be. And so it's something that that as men and as husbands, you got to keep that in mind that, hey, sex doesn't start in the bedroom. It, it starts hours before in the kitchen. Well, and this think, is this is sorry, uh, real quick. This is very real life, um, practical type of, of, of a discussion that we're having that, to be quite frank, a lot of young people are getting even if let's say they're not consuming pornography, which again, statistically, a lot of young men most likely are, but even if they're not, what are they consuming through Hollywood? 
What are they consuming through the shows they watch, the movies, the music that that all portray this, you know, idea of sexual intercourse as basically it leaves out all the things that y'all are discussing. It leaves out the emotional connection. It leaves out the, you know, throughout the day, between a husband and wife, the throughout the day interaction that leads to the sexual intercourse. What do, and again, not just young people, but what do we see in Hollywood movies and shows and songs? Kind of skips over that part. And so I think that's why a lot of people, and again, specifically young people, kind of have a messed up view of what sexual intercourse between a husband and a wife is all about because they're basing it off of what they see in Hollywood. Well, I think one of the others, you know, with kind of that stereotype, and we, we spoke about it a little bit last week, but something you want to get into as well today is the woman isn't just there to say, okay, well, the guy needs it. I'm supposed to provide it for him, so I will. But when you kind of take this shortcut route to it, it, it becomes that of, okay, I, I've got to perform, I've got to give him what he needs, and, and that's it. Whereas, yep. like you're saying, really putting the time into this is what makes the difference, really makes it to where she can enjoy it too, it, that it's equal, that it's 50-50 out of this, and it's not just a sense of duty, it's not, all right, fine, I'll give you your your little you know short time, and I took care of your, your biological need, but you know she, and again, it, it's that build up it starts maybe in the morning or whatever else and i think we hit on our masculinity femininity thing that it's kind of this stupid dishonest trope that's out there of nothing is sexier to woman than a man doing dishes in the kitchen you know that just gets her going like no it actually doesn't physically it, it just doesn't <laughs> but attention does you know and care and and touch and with things her. like that and and just Again, showing, hey, I value you. I, you know, I'm interested kind in you. Words. Let's, yeah, kind words. Yep. Let's work toward this Absolutely. long before we get into the bedroom. Uh, so it, it becomes that for her, too. And what's interesting yeah, to the, me, the other. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead, Go Joe. It. I was just going to say what's interesting for me is guys want kind of the immediacy of sex, right? And that's, I think, one of the issues is they don't want to put in the work for two hours wooing their wife, you know, and things like that. But they'll edge, they'll masturbate and edge for two hours looking at porn. And they might do that a couple times a day. And it's like, if you took that time where you want sex immediately with your wife, but you don't view porn that way. Like if you took that time and really put it into trying to, you know, help your wife along and, and to connect with her and to do all of that. I think this, the guy just wants it immediately. And I think Brad, you're right that statistically and, and biologically, I wouldn't say it's a, a, a rule across the board that every guy is, you know, just that way. But at the same time, the overwhelming majority of guys are that way where they heat up very, very fast. It takes some time to get, as we're talking about with your wife long, start viewing it that way of you're really putting into the relationship. And even if sex is not a back end, your relationship is that much stronger for it. But mm -hmm. sorry, what were you going to say? Yeah, I, I was just going to say, too, we got to throw into this discussion um, the difference, especially neurologically, that happens if if you see, for instance, a hammer laying on a counter, a certain parts of your brain lights up. That is a tool. That's a tool you use for something. If your children or your grandchildren walk in a room and you see them, a different portion of your brain lights up. It's been proven. I can show it to you. So there's these two different parts of your brain that light up when you've got a tool or an object versus something that you love and care about. The problem with pornography and the problem with not taking care of and, and being sensual with your wife is she becomes the hammer or the tool and is viewed as an object. And number one, that's not a good thing. Um, I think Jack last week was talking about the fact that, you know, look, we, we've got this in a good way. Like Christians have got the total package. They've got this, this thing that's just useless. That's, that's trying to fill a void that they can't fill. Well, part of it is because they're viewing their partner as a tool or an object rather than somebody they love. And there is a difference in the sexual relationship when you view that person as somebody you love, the neurochemicals that are released and everything that goes with it. Um, and, and that's a big deal. I think our wives know when they're being viewed as 
a hammer or a screwdriver or a nail or a tool versus somebody that you truly love, care about, want to protect and um, would be willing to die for. Okay. So with that, we've been on kind of this side of it of men making it better for their wives, making sure it's enjoyable, fulfilling for her. You've got a, a to-do list for husbands, to-do list for wives. So before we switch to the, hey, wives, here's how you help your husband in this, uh, let's get to your to-do list for husbands. What what are things they can do throughout the day, just regularly, habitually, to make it more fulfilling for them, uh, for, for their wives, for um, you know making it to where it's equal, the 50-50 thing we talked about? So what do you got on your to-do list? All right, as far as a to-do list for guys probably the the first and the foremost thing that i would say to everybody and this steps on my own toes is put your phone down and look at your wife think about the message that you're really sending to your spouse when you know they're wanting to talk to you they're wanting your attention and yet you've got a device in your hand ultimately what you're telling that person is this is more important than you and so don't be sitting there looking at your phone all day and then wondering why your wife has no interest in you at night because all day long you've been telling her, Hey, this is more important than you. Um, as far as a to-do list, other things, what about just taking time, you know, giving her some time, whether that be for her to have some free time to do things she needs to do. Um, time where you say, Hey, you, you go grab some coffee, hang out with your friends. I'm going to, I'm going to watch the kids take the time to show some affection, uh, some sensuality, do things, little things like just sweet kisses, you know, nibbling necks, nibbling ears, holding her, you know, giving a hug that lasts more than 0.5 seconds that you think, Hey, this will lead to the bedroom. Um, caressing. I, I don't know really of any women out there who probably don't like a massage, whether that be massaging their back, massaging their feet, but I, I'm going to say this. And again, guys, it's one of those things you, you gotta, you gotta go with me on. Just because you're rubbing her shoulders or her feet, that doesn't mean you immediately run back to a bedroom. Um, sometimes you may want to do that just to show her, I love you. And without all the strings attached, listen to how she's feeling. Talk to her about her, her goals, her aims, her dreams in life. And you guys talked a little bit about this last week and I, I thought you did a good job. And that is, you know, date your wife, get, get reinvested in her so that she understands she is priority. Number one, um, as far as wives, remember that your husband is very, very visual. It is a scientific fact. Guys are more visual than females. And so think about those visual cues and think about how those visual cues stay with him throughout the day, throughout the week, um, learn to initiate, show him that you love him equally. Um, there's a lot of Christian women out there, wives who, you know, they don't mind having sexual relations with their husband, but they never, ever initiate or they never, ever show, you know, the first response. And ultimately one of the messages that you're sending your husband is kind of the, uh, you know, you know, this isn't important enough to me, or I don't necessarily desire you. And so, yeah, I'll be here for you, but you know, you're not necessarily my first and foremost desire. Maybe the kids are maybe cleaning house or maybe my career or whatever. Don't do that. Uh, learn to initiate, learn to show him that you love him equally. Also, don't be afraid to flirt. Don't be afraid to whisper romantic things in his ear on occasion. Uh, don't be afraid to mix things up occasionally. It, you know, sex in a bedroom is great, but it doesn't have to be that for 
50 years, one thing over and over and over. Don't be afraid to, to mix things up. I think two things that I get out of both of those, you know, one thing I get out of each, but I think those are fantastic points. I love what you said for the husband side of don't always expect sex out of it. It's so easy to get into that of like, I'm doing this because there's kind of the reward at the end. And that's, those are all the jokes from the culture, right? He's just trying to get some, whatever it is, the crude remarks that are made. And so it turns any affection you give your wife, anytime you give your wife, there's always that expectation at the end that, that sex is coming. And I would say, if that is you and you realize that every single time you you even touch your wife, every single time you're nice to your wife, you expect a reward. I mean, it's like Pavlov, man. Like you ring the bell. That's yeah. It's a conditioned response that somehow you think ought to be a conditioned response. It's not. Take care of your wife. I love that. I think that's a fantastic point. To the yeah. woman's side of it, though, you said this briefly, and I, I want to come back around to it because it was so good. Um as you talked about, date your husband. This is Gottman's Love Maps, right? John Gottman. Look up seven principles for making marriage work. Fantastic marriage book. Get it. Fill out the love maps with your spouse. That's part of the dating. But to the women, look, you chose your husband. Your kids, of course, they they are a, a you know, came from you and it is a fantastic thing and you love your kids to death. There's nothing like a mother's love. Um, at the same time, you chose your husband. So when you show that you put the kids above the husband, that you put the house chores, that you put everything above your husband, the husband knows like this. And that's a big thing is, well, how can I get mad at her? She's taking care of the kids, but the husband grows in this animosity and in this kind of underlying just frustration bubbling up underneath and he can't figure out why. And then once again, I get him in therapy where there's just this frustration. And the reality is she hasn't considered him at all. She's considered the kids and he goes, can I really get mad at her for that? Well, yeah, you can. You can get frustrated. You grow very frustrated because the reality is she chose you, but she's not choosing you anymore. She's choosing the kids. She's choosing your career. She's choosing other things. So to the women, your kids are going to move out one day. Lord willing, if everything goes well, your kids are going to move out one day. You and your husband aren't. That's The plan is for you guys to be together for life, not for your kids to be in your house for life. And so put into the relationship now, a lot of people, and this is the empty nesters, they put zero into the relationship. The woman runs into the kids. She just wants to have more and more kids because it's an escape from her horrible marriage. And then the kids move out and they go, well, what do we have to talk about? Yeah, it's because you haven't worked on your marriage in the last 25 years while you've been raising kids. All you've thought about is releasing those arrows. That's fantastic. But what happens when they're released? Then what do you do? I think there's one thing I want to add to Brad's list is it's not one size fits all. Uh, my wife and I have talked about it, it, it to illustrate it to like making coffee for your spouse. When you get married, you know, I, I got to figure out how she likes her coffee. If I think she's going to like it exactly like I do. And I just hey, well here, I would want this. So well, she's not going to want that. The other side being, well, women like their coffee this way. And like, you kind of go online. Well, how does a woman like her coffee? And you just kind of get, you know, kind of cultural answer. Well, that might not be how she likes it. You know, that might not be, she might be a little different. Joe brought up last week, some men's sex drives are higher or lower. Some women's are higher or lower. Like you, you figure these things out. And so you really have to figure out, well, what, and both have to, and this is a very scriptural thing of putting each other first. What do you enjoy? What helps you enjoy this better? What makes this better for you? Not what do I think women like in general? Not what do I want you to do to me? Because I think that's a habit we get into. If I want you to do this to me, so I'm going to do it to you so you understand I want that. Communicate out that. How do you like your coffee made? Well, how do you like being approached? How do you, what do you enjoy? What do you not enjoy? I mean, that's one of those things, you know, so many times you kind of do this and like, well, why, why are you not enjoying this? Because I, 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 you're supposed to. Well, maybe she just doesn't ask. Well, and it's, it's a whole lot easier if somebody tells you what they like in your coffee, which is why communication is such a big deal. You know, if you put in cream in her coffee for 15 years and lo and behold, you finally find out she doesn't really like cream. Well, you know, we could have fixed this a long time ago had you said, I don't like cream. And same thing happens in the bedroom, so to speak. If If you learn how to communicate what you like, what you don't like, those kind of things. Um, something else I'm going to, as far as the to do and not to do list, let me throw this out there real quick. Lots of folks, um, you know, in their thirties, forties, fifties, they have very busy lives. And a lot of times the one time that they have to really talk to their spouse 
is it night? Kids are finally in bed. Okay, we can actually communicate together. And what happens, I think, in in lots of homes is that's when the business of the house, the family, all the things that are going right, but more often all the things that are going wrong get brought up. And what happens is, in too many cases, husband and wife find themselves talking about very negative things. Well, the bank account doesn't have a whole lot in it. The the hot water heater is dripping. The The car needs the oil change. The The kid got in trouble at school. The we, We've got to go and get cleats for this particular sports thing. And so instead of nursing a atmosphere of intimacy and feeding and fertilizing your relationship, it's just a bunch of activity, right? Yeah. You're, you're basically running a business and a lot of times it's the negative aspect of the business. So my thing would be learn to save some of that for a different time of the day. Um, because that's you don't need to to right before you're wanting sex be talking negative things to each other and basically both of you get in a foul mood. So one of the things I want to bring up because that kind of spurs spurs us on to that that next area and that is the sexual difficulties that can occur within a marriage. You think about what happens with a, a man and woman before they're married, and you think about you know when we sort of touched on it last week how they want to. As much how how much they want to be together, how much they want to get to know each other, uh, they're they're trying really hard within the relationship. Far too often, what happens after they get married? You know, first two or three years, you know, maybe are good, but after that, they kind of stop trying. And and the example that I give a lot is with weight and with fitness. You know, if somebody is trying to pursue someone, they're not married, they want to get, they want to end up with somebody typically, what are they going to do? They're going to take care of themselves, right? They're going to try to look nice. They're going to try to exercise. They're going to try to stay in shape. Something I've noticed just personally with, with people my age is that, again, far too often what will happen is they'll get married and within three or four years, all that kind of goes away. You know, they, they kind of let themselves go a bit. And it's almost like the analogy of the contract year with the athlete. They're in the contract year. They really want that contract. So they're going to, you know, uh, play really hard. They're going to go above and beyond, do everything they can to get that contract. And then a lot of times what happens after they get the contract, they kind of slack off. They've got the guaranteed money, so they're not going to try as hard. I see that a lot. Uh, and whether, and not just talking about with fitness and with health, but also this, this applies with the, uh, the sexual tension that, that is within a marriage. And so I think Dad, I want you to speak to that. How much of that does that play in with the kind of, I'm going to try really hard. I'm going to push for this before we get married. And then three or four years after we get married, I mean, I've already got the girl, I've already got the guy. So what, what reason is there to try? How much of that have you seen? Does that play into this at all? <laughs> There's a, a George Strait song that's titled, she let herself go. And um, if you listen to the song, it's actually a, a play on those words, but basically that's what you're saying is what, right. you know, what, what happens if the man or the wife says i've got a ring so now i can just let myself go that is not a recipe for success in a marriage and it's certainly not a recipe for success when it comes to the purpose of sex what we're talking about right here if i allow myself to to eat everything that i want to eat and i balloon up to 300 pounds guess what my wife's probably not going to find me very attractive and probably not going to want to be uh, you know, as, as romantically active with right. the bedroom. So you've got this problem. How do we fix the problem? You take care of yourself, you take care and, and you encourage your spouse in the same area. Well, and again, um, it's not just the fitness side, cause that's exactly right. It's also doing the sweet things for, for your spouse, right? You do it a lot before you yeah. get married and then it kind of goes down the drain. It's the, the emotional connection, the talking about things, man, a lot of times when that when once the the wedding happens 5 years down the road like you brought up dad it's the well we've already done the the emotional connecting part now let's just run the biz, the family business together yeah so you guys mentioned in the last podcast a 7 year itch which you don't have to have by the way um here's the here's the anatomical side of the 7 year itch too many guys and gals get 
really, really addicted to that hit of dopamine that they had when they were courting or dating their spouse. You know, the, the, the flirty looks, the gentle touches, the first time you see them undress, the first time that you're together and just massive amounts of dopamine hitting your system. Well, guess what? After five, six, seven, eight years, it's not as much. The The dopamine hit is not as big. What's actually happened, God designed now for oxytocin to, to jump in and to build a deeper, more um, lasting relationship. But what far too often happens is guys are seeking that dopamine hit again. And so all of a sudden you start going into a boardroom, looking at somebody and they look at you and your feet touch and, you know, um, you've heard it said a lot of times affairs don't start in a bedroom. They start in a boardroom or in David's case with a little walk on the roof, you gotta make sure you're not trying to feed that dopamine getting back. By the way, let's say that you do end up doing what too many people, stupid people do end up in an affair. You divorce your wife. Now you're five years down the track with this young lady. Guess what? Same thing's going to happen anatomically where it's going to convert over from dopamine to oxytocin. And you're going to be looking for that dopamine hit again, which is why Far too often, second and third marriages don't last. And I also want to hit on, you often hear, this goes back to your point, Will, court your wife, right? And and pursue her. You hear that in every marriage seminar, right? You got to pursue your wife, pursue your wife. What does that tangibly look like? What does that mean? And what I would tell people, and this is going to sound really selfish, pursue yourself a little bit. You let yourself go because you think you got your wife because she was the end goal. As a man, your wife doesn't respect that when she's the end goal. You have to have something that is beyond her. You have to have something that is bigger than her. You have to be pursuing your own goals because if you pursue her and you finally get her, where do you go from there? Now you can only ever maintain. Whereas if you go out and you conquer and you take your role, and we've talked about this in the masculinity, I don't want to get too much into this, but in the masculinity podcast, this idea of taking dominion, part of the weight gain is because you think that your goal is your wife and you got her. So your goal is done. And then it's just maintaining that marriage. Whereas if you look at it and you say, my goal is to take dominion in every aspect of my life, because that's what I'm called to do. My wife will follow and she will be a helpmeet in the process. Things go a lot better. Pursue your relationship with God, pursue your relationship with yourself, which sounds really weird and sounds very selfish, but it's like, I realize the two become one flesh. The problem is we stop caring about the individual and individuals are what make the marriage go. So this whole idea of you complete me because I come with 50% and you come with 50%. Wrong. Because when she lets down, and we've mentioned this before, so again, we can move on here in a second, but when she lets down on her 50% and she's only given 35%, bitterness sets in because, hey, you were supposed to complete me. Now I'm only 85% whole because you're letting down your end of the deal. No, no, no. You come 100%. She comes to the marriage 100% and together you make something completely different. But that way, if she is having a tough day, she's having a tough month, whatever it may be, whatever things you go through, you're 100% individual. So I know we're taking it into the marriage, and I do want to bring it back around to the sexual because that well, is what this is about. But I, let me jump sorry, in here to transition this. Since sure. the COVID lockdowns two and a half years ago, it's, it is really a shame how many people I know, Facebook friends, real you know, like friends I'm close with who have had marital struggles, divorced, affairs, whatever else. I mean, just lots of problems lots of people you see just aren't together anymore um and and so some of the things that came about from that and so uh you've got some things you want to get into here that kind of are hindrances things that maybe start creating the environment for a fair you know if, if not satisfied at home of looking somewhere else for it but also just again where you're not connecting you're not clicking together as, as a couple and so let's get to some of those before we kind yeah. of shift gears into the the reproductive side absolutely so if you look around the average auditorium, um, most married people do not look happy. And folks, that is such a problem. They look miserable in many cases. They, they really don't look happy. And so the message that we're sending a lot of the young people is, hey, we want you to stay, you know, abstinent until marriage. And oh, by the way, once you get in marriage, this is what you can look forward to look like you're sucking lemons. That is not 
it. Uh, my understanding is I'm probably supposed to, to do a hot take, kind of like Joe. So <laughs> watch yourself. Here, here's now. my you can that, call that, that's else. his area. Yeah, that's Here, right. Here's my hot else. take. Here's my hot take. Stop having so many stinking church programs that we are interfering with the health and the flourishing of Christian marriages. In fact, I, I would recommend everybody listening to this, think of one activity that you can give up, whether it be a, a visitation program or a certain youth thing or what, whatever. And I, I know right now there are probably preachers and elders that are sucking air for oxygen, thinking how in the world could he tell somebody not to do these things? I can tell them that because we've got marriages failing all across our country We've got young people looking at these marriages thinking, why do I want that? Maybe it's time we invest some time in marriages and less time in these programs. And that's what's so frustrating. And dad, I want you to get into the the things that can hinder a healthy sex life here after this. But that's what's so frustrating is the person that, you know, always tries at least to look at it from the perspective of, of young people. You know, we hammer and hammer, hammer as we should, like you said, stay abstinent. Don't, you know, no sexual activity outside of, you know, before you get married. But then again, you got young people that are looking at, at Christian married people. And if the, the depressing part about this is you think about your average congregation and you ask your young people, Hey, can you name five examples of what looks like a healthy, uh, happy, happy married couple? Can you name five? I think, you know, again, generalized statement, you know, this is maybe a bit stereotypical, but I think a lot of young people would struggle to find that. And that's what's yep. so saddening is that, again, we're going to tell them don't have sex outside of marriage, wait till marriage. We should, of course. But at the same time, they're looking around going, there's no examples of happy, healthy marriages. Why would that be something that I run towards? And we wonder why young men are delaying marriage till 25, 26, 27. It's just a nasty cycle, a vicious cycle that we're in. And the church, again, is not doing a lot to stop it. No. And in fact, what we're doing is we're filling up our calendars with all these these activities and programs, thinking that if we have a full calendar that oh, that, that means we're active and we're doing great things for Christ. But we don't realize we're actually separating and fragmenting families, which is a problem. We are causing marriages to crumble because there's no time to feed them, fertilize them and for husband and wife to be intimate. And I'm so add again, uh, again, think of an activity that you can give up, even if it is a church activity. Now, obviously, I would I would go secular activity first, but there's some of you out there that you're involved in every single activity a church offers, visitation, youth, um, all the different programs that are out there. You need to give some of those up and focus on your marriage. I'm going to add to your hot take on on the back end of how many of those programs are based around children? This is for the kids. This is, this is for the youth, right? This is, it, it, and, and it makes us feel youthful and it makes us feel good because we're doing a lot for the kids. It actually mirrors the same thing that you see in the families as we've already touched on, which is it's all about the kids. It's all about the kids. No, it's not. It's not. You're, the family structure is built on strong men and women, strong marriages, not strong children. That's fantastic. That's great. You will not hear us say anything against raising up your children unto the Lord. That's absolutely what should happen. They cannot be the same way that a man's main mission cannot be his wife. It has to be outside of her because, I mean, she has to have something to follow. He, She can't be the top of the food chain. It's a hierarchical issue there. Same thing when you make it all about the kids and churches make it all about the kids. I'm not going to go off on VBS again. Everybody knows my take on it, but it is all about the kids and why aren't we doing more as you're talking about to help Christian marriages? And I'm not talking programs, maybe some Bible classes, but like you said, be willing to take a step back from a couple of these programs and show your kids what a good marriage looks like. You want to help them. Don't send them to another youth function with pizza and laser tag. Let them watch you at home as a, as a solid married couple communicating back and forth, studying the word yeah. of God, going on things as a family and showing them what a healthy marriage looks like. That's one of the best things you can do for your kid Stop, stop delegating it to the church and, and thinking that if I say a couple nice things about marriage every once in a while, that will overcome the mountain of negativity they see from mom and dad at home. It's not going to happen. So we come back to, and you've already touched on the first one, which is 
the things that hinder a good sex life first, I think is busyness. I think that's the point you're really, you're driving at here is big dumb, big dumb busyness and, and too much. You got to make time. What else? You gotta make time. Um, and you guys touched on this very well last time, the, the guilt concept where, you know, for 18, 20 years, you tell a kid, no, 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 that's bad, 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 bad. And then you try to flick a light switch and go, oh, okay, now enjoy this. Well, guess what? You can't undo 18 years of guilt and negativity overnight. And so you got a lot of of folks who get into their marriage and there's a pretty hefty guilt complex associated with sex. Um, Will, that's one of the reasons why when you, you, your siblings, you guys, I think were all 11 when we did the, the passport for purity. We wanted to wait long enough for you to be old enough to comprehend, understand, accept it in a mature way, but also young enough so that you could start forming good feelings about it for when you do get married. And so that your marriage night, your marriage week, your first year would not just be a whole thing of, oh, should I really be doing this? Is this right? You know, the the whole guilt complex. Um, obviously, we, we talked about the exhaustion thing. And there again, that's one of the things. So I'm a little bit older than you guys. I know that. One of the things just a little bit. you're one of the things that you're gonna find is life comes in waves or chapters. And so there are gonna be chapters of your life where you're a lot more busy and you have to take stock and say, you know what, we need to slow down. We need to get rid of some of this stuff. We need to do things. Um, learn to identify those early on in your marriages. Learn to look around and go, you know what, we we are just, man, we're just going from one thing to the next. We need to slow down and enjoy each other. Um, Jack, Joe, what about angerness and, and bitter bitterness, resentment when it comes to a hindrance in sex? Yeah, I mean, if that exists and then you've got to go perform that, it, again, it becomes a duty at that point. Neither one of you is enjoying it. We talked last week where sometimes for the guy, it can almost feel like you're violating the woman, if she, your wife, if she doesn't want to be a part of it, if there's, if there's not a connection there. And so that's not a healthy thing. Uh, you've also got fear. You got a, a lot of folks who, um, because they went 18, 20 years with this unknown, there's, there's a whole fear side of it. Um, external problems with work, stress, that kind of thing. One of the things that, that Christians don't ever talk about is just the ignorance of sex, you know, because we don't talk about this area. And because we don't talk about human anatomy and because dads don't have real life conversations with their sons or daughters about the human body and what to expect, a lot of times there's just flat out ignorance and that will definitely hinder a healthy sex life. Um, well, Joe, and also, yeah, I, I also want to get in on that because I think there's willful ignorance as well. And there's this kind of like, the approved method, the approved way is the missionary position with the lights off. That's what Christians do. And it's like, there's so much more to the world of sex. There's so many different positions to try. It's about enjoying sex with one another, but it's like so many Christians do want to stay in the dark, metaphorically speaking, physically and metaphorically speaking. And, and they want to pretend that other sexual positions are, are dirty are wrong or whatever it may be. And so we kind of stay ignorant in this area. And then because we're ignorant, we think that when we go to pass it down to our kids and discuss this, right, and, and have these talks with them about it, we're ignorant ourselves, and we feel really weird about it ourselves. And so it's kind of, once again, we stay a little more in the dark on that, willfully, seemingly. I don't know if that's something you've run across, but it very much seems like that. And then, Joe, as I mentioned, you, you pointed out, Greg, last week, insecurity, whether it be insecurity about the the female and her body, um, insecurity about performing, whatever, but all of these are things that can hinder a, a healthy sex life. And these are things that we have to be aware of and things that we need to address. I want to add one more on the end, just from a therapy perspective. And that is shame. You talked about guilt, but I think there's a lot of shame surrounding past sexual behavior. There's a lot of sexual abuse in the church that's not discussed. 
This is not, we're not going into this on the podcast too much, but this is a real problem in the church. Um, I, I can tell you horror stories from many Christians who have come to see me, um, you know, for my services that they come into counseling and, and things kind of seem okay on the surface. The more you dig into their past, it's like, whoa, the church hid some major sexual abuse scandal that they happen to unfortunately be, you know, be a part of, be caught in and um, devastating, right? And there's a lot of shame surrounding those things, but they can't tell anyone. And so they get into marriage and maybe they're shamed from past molestation, whatever it is, or because we have this tendency to shame people for, you know, sleeping together outside of marriage, there is a guilt aspect. You are, that is not right. It's fornication. It's a sin. But we can make any sexual sin the cardinal sin. And so if you have a past with anything concerning homosexuality, anything concerning sleeping together outside marriage, anything concerning a major porn addiction issue that you have overcome or or are working to, that can also hinder a sex life where you struggle to open up because you feel very shameful about what you've done. In which case, I would say, get yourself some therapy. You need to learn to accept forgiveness from God recognizing that if you've repented and you're coming out of that, then, you know, and you've turned away from that, that there is absolutely forgiveness, but there's also a lot of trauma surrounding those things and working through trauma can be difficult. So that I would, I would throw that on as well. So I'm going to, we're not going to have time to get the uh, uh, reproductive discussion into this one. We might have to push that to another one, uh, bring Brad back. Uh, And I apologize. My daughter is trying to make her podcast debut from the other room. Uh, Sorry, hollering, but (laughs) what you get at there, Joe, with shame and church teaching and all that, Uh, And I guess we'll kind of shoot this tangent as we get towards the end of this discussion. Purity culture. Um, There's been a lot of criticism of purity culture. In fact, when I posted that we were going to talk about this, when he brought up I Kiss Dating Goodbye and how it was wholly negative. And I think a lot of people look at, oh man, purity culture got me a whole backwards view on sex. And when you look at it, having a purity culture is a good thing. Teaching young kids, hey, it's not good to go sleep with a bunch of people and uh, you know, this this will right. have consequences down the road in your marriage. It's it's going to create baggage that you're going to bring into it. Diseases, yeah. I mean, you know, what children come out of it, or abortions that come out of it from covering up, or or just all, uh, bad things. And so it's it's an important thing to push. On the other hand, I think that's the critique that some people have is it went too far. It didn't create a healthy Angela view of swing. sex or whatever else. And so. I, I know you're well familiar, Brad, with Josh Harris, who's since gone off the reservation and all yeah. that, but Ike is dating goodbye. Yeah. All, all the stuff that was purity culture, what are your thoughts? So uh, there, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind as you read through the Old Testament, God expects us to remain pure. Um, you think about what would happen to a female who was impure and her husband charged her with that. She was stoned in her, her father's doorway. I don't think God changed his view on purity just because Jesus went to the cross. And so, yes, I do feel like we need to promote purity. I need, uh, and here's the thing. I think during my lifetime, when I was 15, 16, 17, basically the message the church was saying is don't have sex. Here's the sex line. And what everybody did was we tried to get as close to that line as we could Oftentimes, many people went over the line. And so, uh, you know, unfortunately, sometimes the pendulum swings hard back the other way and folks are like, oh, no, now we got to we got to teach them to cover up and wear burkas and, and not touch somebody. There's a healthy balance to where you can get to know someone. Sure, you can hold somebody's hand, you can put your arm around somebody, you can remain pure in the eyes of God and still start to understand what the opposite sex is about. You can still start feeling some of those hormone feelings and not have the the PTSD, as, as people would say they've got, from remaining pure. Um we're going to continue to teach purity in our household. And it's something that I think God is very serious about. The problem I think with the purity culture, I thousand percent agree. Uh, of course it's, we need to teach more of it. The problem with purity culture was the false promises made along the way. If you're pure, you are going to have the greatest sex life and the greatest marriage there ever is. And so people remain pure and then they get there. There is ignorance. All the things we just discussed, there's ignorance, there's fear, there's there's a, just a, a general lack of understanding about sex, but also, oh yeah, I didn't know that my husband struggled with porn. 
And so all these false promises, like as a, as a woman, as a girl, I kept myself pure and I kept myself away from all these things. And I didn't go off the reservation and I didn't, you know, dress immodestly at the pool and all of these things. Like I save myself. I deserve to have the man of my dreams and deserve to have the wedding that is, you know, Cinderella's wedding. Well, that happens. You keep yourself pure and all of these false promises made by the purity culture movement, they, they don't work out. We realize they're false promises. My marriage is terrible. We have marital issues all the time. We don't get along. He's, you know, sexually backwards, whatever it is. Um, even though he say, you know, we kept ourselves clean. Yeah. But you didn't know that he had, he had been molested, you know, in his childhood, whatever it is. And so I think that was people's big problem with purity culture is, is the false promises. And so a lot of people, once again, everything operates on a pendulum. Seemingly it swung back to where we are now, where we don't teach purity. There is a balance to be had where purity is fantastic. And I would very much be on the train of, I wouldn't hardly hold hands before marriage to be quite honest with you, because as you referenced earlier, it awakened something in me. I did sleep with, with Alyssa before marriage. I'm not proud of it. It wasn't good. It was a matter of fact, it was horrible. Um, everything that came out of it and, and all of the issues and we had to work through things, you know, even after marriage of, of some of the guilt and everything surrounding that. So that's a warning. However, I would say that very much was awakened when we started holding hands and I, then it goes into stroking the arm and then it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. I didn't have self-control the way I should have. I'm not saying if you hold hands, you're going to be sleeping with one another, but it does awaken things. We ought to be able to have these conversations without making the promises that everything is going to be great and your marriage is going to be thousand percent fantastic. That's not always the case. Well, and we're going to have to have a courtship dating for young people episode at some point. I don't want to turn the close of this episode into that. Um, but I think everything that y'all are saying is exactly right in the sense that it's it's maybe it's not necessarily that we don't teach purity anymore. It's just that, as I brought up numerous times before, we put our young people in just about every opportunity that we can to not be pure. We push them towards relationships at age 15. We push them towards dating culture, you know, all the while in the church, still under the premise of, but you got to stay pure, you know, make sure you make sure and stay pure, but, you know, go be by yourself with your girlfriend and boyfriend for hours upon end. And so, again, that's a discussion that we're going to have to have at a, at a later time. But well, and let's let's make sure everybody out there understands if we do it God's way, it is it's going to work. It's best. You know, he doesn't want us to get diseases. He doesn't want us to get um, emotionally and physically attached to somebody who is not our spouse. One of the things that that we haven't mentioned is endorphins that are released. So, you know. I'm a child of the eighties and there are songs that when they play, unfortunately, my mind doesn't immediately go to my wife because maybe they were a song that was the theme of a prom that I went to with somebody else. That's not a great thing. When my body is re releasing endorphins from a song that I went to a prom with somebody else with, it's, that's, that's not a, a positive, pure God intended kind of deal. And so these are the things that we need to make sure we're communicating to the next generation so that when a song comes on, they're not going to have this neurochemical rush because of something, somebody they were with who's not their spouse 20, 30 years ago. I don't think we're going to get to the, uh, a lot of the questions that Christians have about birth control about more so the reproduction side of sex, uh, fertility issues, IVF. Those are very, very needed discussions. A lot of questions we have uh, on that. So I believe the plan is to push that to next week uh, on another episode featuring, uh, again, Brad Harib. I'll call him dad, uh, but featuring Brad Harib. Uh, so uh, we encourage you to stay tuned for that as we will have a part three uh, of this. Yeah, go ahead. Before, before you guys kick me off, I do want to throw out real quickly. Um, we talked about the, the hindrances of healthy sex life. Let me make sure everybody understands there are physical, anatomical, neurological benefits of sex. You get unity, you get pleasure, you get obviously reproduction that we're going to talk about next time. Um, you reaffirm your identity, the release of tension, those kinds of things. So folks, what we're talking about is a good thing. It was created by God. 
Um, look forward to talking to you guys next time about uh, reproduction and, and all the other aspects. Uh, we'll be back next week with one more uh, on the sex series. I guess that'll make it three in the series, and uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll have done it justice by then. But again, thanks to everybody for tuning in. Thanks again for Brad for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.